From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Thanks as always for tuning in. Coming up in just a minute or two, uh, the conversation we're sharing this week is from Indie Week 2022, and it sees... Indie Week founder Daryl Hurst chatting with Todd Kearns, um, really one of the nicest dudes in rock, and this is a really fun conversation. Daryl and Todd go back a long ways, and uh, well, these days, Todd is best known as the bassist and backup singer with uh, Slash, of course, the legendary Slash of Guns N' Roses. So um, yeah, Todd plays with Slash and Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. But in this conversation with Daryl, he really talks, obviously, about playing with Slash and how that came about and what that's like and all that. But he also goes way back in his career. It's really, um, you know, a musical life-spanning conversation. Also, going back to his days with uh, legendary Canadian uh, indie rockers uh, from the 90s, Age of Electric. And then how he ended up in L.A. A lot of great insights and advice and stories that uh, are really informative for any artists uh, listening to this about just how to make it in this business, the importance of relationships, how things snowball, and uh, really how Todd has uh, just has a really wonderful life and career these days. So anyways, super nice dude, like I said, and this is a fun conversation. So that's coming up in just a minute. But before we get to that, we begin each Indie Weekly session by acknowledging the land on which Indie Week Inc. is based is the traditional territory of the Wendat, Ashinaabe. Haudenosaunee, Métis, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We also must thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. Their support is vital to the work we do, and we thank them. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Now, to the conversation. I would love to introduce uh, Todd Kearns, uh, bassist for Slash, singer for Age of Electric. Um, Todd, if you can, just do a quick intro about yourself. Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Six six foot four, Sagittarius, uh, like a dating profile. <laughs> um, yeah, I do all kinds of things. Um, currently, I've been playing bass with Slash for the past well, it's going on 13 years uh, this coming March. And then, although that's been sort of, you know, off and on with all the different projects we all have going on, including things like Guns N' Roses, which are very, uh, you know, a much bigger uh, thing than, than all the other things combined. But uh, yeah, that, um, I have a bunch of other projects recording. Uh, Took is a Canadian project that myself and Brent Fitz started with uh, Corey Churko from Shania Twain. And it's all classic Canadian rock that we just were covering for these charity shows. And then it spun into sort of a band. I mean, well, a band basically. And we've been recording music and, and working busy with that. I was just on the Kiss Cruise with Bruce Kulick. Bruce Kulick is the guitar player in the non-makeup years of Kiss. So we, we've we been doing that a bunch. Um, I have a new project called Heroes and Monsters. I'm busy all the time. I'm always working, except today. I'm hanging out with you guys. So that's what I yeah, do my I days off. I got to say, Todd, like you're, you're the musician's musician where like as I said, I was scrolling through your Instagram and I like, do you take a day off? Like, <laughs> how do you do it all? <laughs> well, it seems a lot more. I tried to explain this to somebody not that long ago, how it seems crazy on paper. But, um, 
you know, say with stuff like Bruce, with the Bruce, with the Bruce Kulik Kiss Cruise kind of stuff, that stuff comes up. Uh, it's based mostly around the Kiss Cruise. It happens every October. And then we'll do like a, a few things here and there, like um, a Kiss convention will come up or this New Year's we're doing some stuff together. So that's sort of more sporadic and it's a week or two throughout the year. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that sort of thing. And if that was my only gig, then that means that 50 to 49, 48 weeks of the year, I'd be sitting around. So um, the slash thing, although it's massively overwhelming when we, when we do stuff, it's often like, you know, 18 months to two years worth of full on activity, but we are currently, you know, in between. And that sort of puts me in the position to do other things. So, so a lot of the other stuff, like, like Tuke had a real busy summer and, um, and we try to keep busy when we can, depending on everybody's schedules. Again, Corey's with Shania Twain and, and all that stuff. So that, that gets kind of crazy too. So, um, and then when I'm in town, I, I, there's a show in Vegas that I, that I participate in called Raiding the Rockfall with guys from Heart and Dio and Whitesnake and all these different bands that have been around forever. And we play classic rock music and it's, you know, very successful here in town and they're nice enough to have me when I'm around. And when I'm not, I, I'm, they get somebody else, I guess, you know? So it's just one of those things where I don't know. I've just never been very good at time off. You know, I, I that's a lie in reality the COVID thing was such a, you know, the pandemic lockdown was such a, um, a very eye-opening experience for me that all these years I thought I was some sort of pirate and then realized I'm not a pirate. I'm a guy pretending to be a pirate all these years. So the idea of staying at home was way too comfortable. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, but that said, I, I try to keep busy. I'm one of those people that's, you know, when the phone rings, you answer it and you, hopefully can uh, accommodate whatever's going on within your own calendar. Yeah. Often say yes uh, to, to opportunities really. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the idea. Right. So I want to kind of uh, start off by talking a little bit about age of electric days. Um, mm. I know, I know we sort of had a prior conversation to set things up, but um, one of the things that we sort of talked about how things were pretty structured, like, um, most bars you weren't allowed to or supposed to play originals at all. Uh, bars did not have lights, did not have sound. And we we're all just town to town, week long ventures. Uh, and every bar was uh, like in a hotel. So you were put up for the week. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, what, like, let's, if you can sort of talk about like how you, how you got into that. And I wanted to also then sort of start talking about like age of electric to me really changed the indie scene in Canada by playing originals uh, during that mm. time. So, well, yeah, it is a surreal thing to imagine. I was, I was um, explaining this to a young, younger guy I know recently who's, you know, in, playing in music in Edmonton. And I said, well, you know, asking for advice, I'm kind of, well, when I was a kid, the, the best thing you could do was just be out playing cover songs. And when I say best, I mean, you know, your, your best case scenario is to be writing your own music, playing your own music, creating your own music, creating your own audience and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Age of Electric, we grew up in Saskatchewan and the only clubs that we knew where bands could play were these cover bands and they'd play the covers of the day and top 40 type music or 
you know, some would be leaning more hard rock and some would be leaning more pop or whatever modern, whatever the modern top 40 was. And um, the, the, the entire thing was structured from all the way across the country that you could go from hotel to hotel, you'd go into load into a hotel on the on the Sunday. Um, and then you'd play Monday to Saturday, pack up your stuff and move on to the next town. Uh, it's a surreal thing to imagine driving around with a full lighting system, a full PA system, guitars, bass, drums, amplifiers, the whole thing. But that's the way it was. And bands would do this at varying levels of A circuit, B circuit, and 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 far beyond, frankly. And we started, you know, when I was younger, I used to play in bands like that. And then when we you know, I came across Kurt Dahl, the drummer for the Age of Electric, and he and I were like-minded souls. And and he had a brother that played guitar, and I had a brother that was playing bass. I was playing bass at the time, but I said, "Well, I'll move over to guitar and sing, and we'll bring in the younger brothers, and we put a band together." And then the that whole system was put in place. So I always consider it the Hamburg years for. Um, the Beatles, they went to Germany and played cover songs for like six hours a night or some crazy story. Um, but I think a lot of that is a big part of what made the Beatles a great live act was this ability to just be comfortable on stage, to get up, entertain people who actually, frankly, in a lot of ways, don't really want to see you. <laughs> you know, even though, you know, no one really at these clubs came to see our band. They just, that was the bar in town. And this just happened to be the band that was playing there that night. And a lot of it were these, you know, toil uh, towns with um, oil rig employees from other places, and they just came there and drank. And and um, you know, you'd have your locals, and and sure, you'd 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 have some people who liked your band, but a lot of it was just sort of like you. It was paid rehearsal, really. We just kind of played every single night, three sets a night, sometimes four sets a night, depending on what it was, and packed up and moved to the next town. And um, it was great when you were in Calgary or Edmonton, the bigger cities, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg. I mean, we, most of our life was on the prairies um, before we moved to Vancouver or to, you know, into Ontario. There's a whole other scenario out in Ontario that we weren't even aware of. Um, but I really think that we kind of cut our teeth. And from the beginning, we were already playing our own music. We were already playing original music that uh, we were recording and, and recording in terms of on cassette you know, because it was easier to, cheaper to, I think it might have been, I think CDs might have seemed like, I don't know, the great beyond, the future or something at the time. We just sort of created, uh, we wrote music, we um, we recorded music, we built an audience, and to the point where people didn't want to see us playing, you know, cover songs anymore. They wanted to hear our, our songs, um, to the point that, you know, the kind of cover songs we were covering were, weren't really like the songs of the day. We were kind of more like a I don't know, like an original act deciding to cover some songs, you know, like kind of do our versions of songs. You had to play ball a little bit. And there were some clubs that weren't as receptive to, um, to, you know, this is a cover room. You know, we, we, we got clipped a couple of times. There was a weird transition from cover band into original act that had some growing pains, but that's, but that scene in general started to die. Um, we didn't become an original act, uh, a full original act, because the scene was dying, we kind of had shifted over and the original act just sort of went away. I mean, the, um, the, the, that touring circuit, that cover circuit just kind of went away and we just kind of moved on to the next thing for us. And we'll be back.
crypto, Web3, blockchain, metaverse. Let's be honest. Most of us don't know what the hell this actually means, but it's important and it's going to affect your music business, your music career. So let's all get past the hype, the buzzwords and find out what all this stuff you're hearing about is actually going to mean for you and the music industry. Plus, wouldn't be nice to also connect with innovators, thinkers, the folks leading the way in this tech frontier. Meet us at Screen by Screen from February 7th and 9th. Plus, our online platform also helps you kickstart relationships with other artists, creators, and professionals. So meet us there February 7th and 9th, 2023, Screen by Screen. That is ScreenXScreen.com. And we're back. Yeah, if I can, I, I can uh, just for the audience sort of put it in perspective is um, what Todd said is like we're traveling around its hotels and three sets, four sets a night. So imagine like one taxing on vocal cords, I, like, you know, but the amount of sets you play in six days, hours. Um, but, but also the fact to think about how many performances if if now bands are playing like one show a month or one show mm -hmm. every couple of weeks by the wednesday we've played half a year in comparison uh, <laughs> yes. and, you know um, yeah. and you and you get really good like you get really good but by playing covers you kind of start going oh that's a hook oh yeah that's a course that people engage with and yeah even when you're playing covers there's sometimes where you'd be like nobody likes this song even if it's a hit nobody's yeah. dancing so yeah you learn it right yeah no you do learn a lot about song structure i think even though we had all kind of you know thought we were you know songwriters you know i mean you you do get a, a real schooling in being out there playing all these songs that you really respect and really love and then learning like okay well intro verse pre-chorus chorus and just sort of you know just sort of learning these patterns and then sort of um when you start to do it yourselves you kind of get a sense of of how you think that should go i think like a lot of early songwriters you tend to put too much in the pot like you've kind of over you know that stew's got too much going on and maybe it doesn't need a 16 bar solo you know, it depends on the act. I mean, like I, I'll listen to like Iron Maiden songs and I'll go, damn, man, those guys do not care about like, you know, because all these A&R guys going like, you know, these songs have to be under four minutes. You know, in, in the 60s, it was under three minutes, you know, but by the time we were doing it and I'd be like, I, I never really, th you know, you really think about that kind of stuff until you're actually in that world of of trying to get stuff played on the radio, you know? Um, but you kind of learn all that along the way too. You just sort of learn that, okay, well, let's just trim the fat here. I mean, of course, trimming the fat is a very difficult conversation when the guitar player has put that much work into those extra eight bars of the solo that he wanted to do. And you go, well, now we're going to have to clip eight bars of that because it's just too long. You know what I mean? And, um, but yeah, you learn a lot. I mean, the, the, it's invaluable. Um, when I look back on certain things, once in a while, we talk about the good old days, there will be conversations where, Oh yeah, remember that place? Yeah, that was that was fun. And you go, I hated that place. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. And yeah, remember that fun week? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I hated playing there because you would remember like the act of being together and the and the brotherhood of just traveling together and playing. But the actual gigs could be really tough because you would learn to try and engage with an audience because uh, it felt like at over fifty percent of the time the audiences weren't necessarily that 
all that interested in seeing you guys do your thing. They were kind of like drinking. And in fact, they probably would have preferred silence sometimes to these guys dressed as women or whatever they thought, you know, kind of doing their thing. But um, I, but we learned a lot about being on stage. We learned a lot about sort of professionalism. We learned a lot about uh, the band gets so tight because you, be, you end up sort of in a, you know, you just kind of play so much together that it all becomes sort of second nature. And then when it comes to songwriting and it comes to all that kind of stuff, it was invaluable. I, I think it's kind of like you said, within the course of one night, you've played three sets. And if a band plays one set a month, well, then we just did three months worth of work in, in, in one night. So during the course of a year, we had played a, a, a ton of shows and trying to figure out the pacing of the show and how when this song goes into this song we're losing people all that kind of conversation that you find yourself still talking about when you're putting together a, a 60 minute or a 90 minute or 120 minute set now you know you you all that stuff comes into play and I've been talking about that since I was well a teenager you know yeah and uh it's funny you said like yeah i hate that place but love that experience <laughs> yeah, yeah basically yeah it was freezing <laughs> but, cold and the and, and you know it was a shared bathroom or some you know terrible experience like being in jail together but it was but it was awesome you know at the same time shared bathroom i, I forgot about that experience uh, <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know a shared bathroom means you're in a hotel and there's a bathroom on the floor and everybody shares it. <laughs> or two sometimes two bathrooms yeah sometimes or in a band two, yeah. house or a band house which can be equally as or well actually sometimes more nasty yeah um and i also wanted to sort of mention part of it is it, it's kind of like well it's work it's a job you're hired monday through saturday Mondays aren't necessarily the busiest night. Tuesdays aren't necessarily the busiest night, but you still have to get through it. Oh, Cam just yeah. put Alec Arms. That's exactly where I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that where was, exactly was that? Where was the Alec Arms? Uh, Lethbridge. Lethbridge. Ah, of course. Know it well, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's the thing is you also had to get through those nights to where it's like we have to play to 10 people, three sets. It's going to be a long night but you had to do that. And, and, you know, you've got to get through that, but also can I connect with those 10 people? So they bring back 20 people on Wednesday and those 20 bring back. And by the weekend it's packed, you know? Like exactly. I, I think that's the slow build of all of it is to be honest, I don't remember like when I say now that they were hard times in reality, we love playing music so much that whether it was 10 people or, or, 10,000 people, you know, which we would never experience at that point. Um, it just seemed awesome. You know, I mean, we get to do this, you know, we're, you know, we're barely paying each other enough to survive, you know, we're, we're probably going to get a happy meal that day or something and just going to manage to make it by. But to us, it was just a blast. And, uh, you know, and part of the, you know, part of the, the skill is learning to, to try and win an audience over. And I think that that Overall, you know, I think we sort of became successful at that because otherwise we would have fallen apart within, you know, three months of doing it. But uh, yeah, no, I think we just kind of, uh, we love the, the playing so much that it just, and I think most people, I think most young people feel the same way. If you love playing music, then you just love getting on stage together and kind of who cares what the people think. It's more up to what we, uh, what we do together anyway. 
absolutely. And if I can just sort of also say to the audiences, uh, one of the, with it having been set up that way, hotels, musicians literally were full-time musicians, literally lived on the road. Uh, I know when I was in a band for half a year or whatever, I didn't even have an apartment. Uh, back then there was no cell phones, there was no internet. You literally showed up and played and yep. people showed up. <laughs> That's it. Yep. 100%. Uh, so totally different. Now with Age of Electric, I was saying how impactful you were because you were a band that the originals actually became more important than the covers. And you've released, started releasing videos. And that was such a, to me, an important part in Canadian history. Um, you know, the ugly video, aphrodisiac smile video got played on much music. Um, and just for everybody to know, we had much music back then, a TV station that played videos. Uh, and it was really hard for an indie band to get airplay. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, going through that experience and, you know, um, to also sort of say, like, there was that transition from electric to age of electric, um, where it was, oh, right, now it's original music and, and this is us. Yeah, I think, you know, going along with that idea, I mean, the, the funny, the fortuitous thing that happened was my father, who also played guitar, he wasn't a hardcore guitar player, but he, he played guitar a little bit. And he went into Mother's Music in Saskatoon. Um, I was going to say, don't look for it, it's not there, but it might be still there, I don't even know. But, <laughs> but uh, he went in there, bought a set of strings, and they put his name in, and just end his name in some raffle that they had going on. And he ended up winning studio time at... Pike Studios, uh, Pike Lake Studios, I think it's called, just outside Saskatoon, where the Northern Pikes would record and all these bands. And, and of course, my father's like, hey, I won this thing. Do you guys want to come record some music? And I was like, hell yeah. So the band went out there and recorded a five song EP and started selling the cassette. And when you do stuff like that, those kind of opportunities sort of, they they open a door into the world of you know, your own music, which is a whole other thing. And then um, there was a, a, a television, an independent television series out of Victoria, BC that was shooting videos. They shot a video for um, this band, Young Gun, who were friends of ours. Um, uh, Brian Howes went on to be a, a very successful producer and stuff like that um, from that band. And and they were sort of friends of ours that we'd, kn we'd known around the circuit. And their video looked super pro and we're like oh how do we do that and somehow we contacted that show and made our first trip back all the way back west um and shot a video in 1989 man back in the 1900s if that puts it in perspective for you um and uh yeah the video was was great quality we were young kids with leather pants and long hair and headbands you know <laughs> loving rock and roll and all the things about it and um and I, I think that, you know, when you talk about how difficult it was to get involved in, um, we found that there was a very receptive world in Canadian independent music and things like, um, although we weren't, I've never really considered us too much of a hard rock band, um, we definitely fell in more into that category than any other. So things like the Power Hour out of Toronto, out of the Much Music um, thing, when we sent our video out there for whatever reason, 
they were receptive and they and they were really good to us. So that turned into our trips to now we got to go all the way east because they're playing our video on much music. Then it takes about wasn't until about 93 we made the next video with um, a friend of ours who was just a camera guy in a local television channel in Winnipeg. And we made the video for Ugly in 1993. And, and then the following videos in 95 and into 97, 98. Um, all that stuff was done with him. So it's just finding other ambitious, like-minded people who are also, I mean, by today's standards, with iPhones and everything else, you can make videos for, you know, you, you, everybody's got a nephew who could probably knock out a better quality video than the ones we were doing back then. And, and, and it just takes imagination and a, a cool eye. But back then it was a matter of getting, can we shoot this on 16 millimeter uh, film? Eight millimeter film doesn't look as pro as, you know, those, those kind of conversations where we're trying to compete with being up next to, you know, some large A&M records, multi-thousand dollar budget to make a video for their artists. And we're just these kids literally making, uh, well, the first one didn't cost us anything because it was a television series that made it. And the second one cost us $3,000, you know, and borrowing every possible favor we could we could borrow to make it. And for whatever reason, they they worked, you know, and, and when these things happen, it's sort of like great opportunities. Um, and there are all sort of steps towards the next goal. None of them are, you know, they, they, none of them seem like a slam dunk as far as like, here's your million dollar check because you made a $3,000 video and it's getting played on much music. It's just now it's in rotation and building an audience and, and you head to the next step. Yeah. And, and uh, just for everybody, uh, if you can, at some point, go check out the ugly on uh, YouTube and, uh, it's it's a video that's really it is really cool because i think there's like only a few edits like because yeah. it's all it's walking through a hotel but i think there's like maybe two or three edits and and that's it well we got um, savvy with that too because we you know we got hip to the idea that what's costing us money in making videos because we'd made not only had we made a video but we had a bunch of friends doing it too you know and and a lot of them sort of looked to us and said, well, these guys are doing it. Let's do it as well. And we learned that a lot of the money was being spent um, in the editing process, the actual making of the film, the filming of the video, that kind of stuff. And then we thought to ourselves, well, what if we could shoot a video? I was just standing in a hotel in a place called the North Center Inn in, in Calgary. It used to be called The Beacon. Frankie and Johnny's North was the name of the club in it. And it had this hotel that, that it was kind of a square, but all the, all the hallways joined. And I said, It'd be kind of cool if you could just shoot like on a like the shining you know with the one camera would just follow a bunch of ridiculous activity if you could keep enough kind of going on in the course of it where it, it never really edits then you would have yourself a video that i mean there were a few videos that were just with one long shot or that that were very interesting and it was starting to head into the 90s where things became more and more uh what's the word they became more creative in the sense like it didn't have to be slick it didn't have to be real it, had, it could just be creative you know what i mean and then we i remember we talked to our friend in, in winnipeg about it and then the fort gary hotel which i can't believe where the queen stays when she comes to winnipeg i don't know how often she comes to winnipeg well not anymore obviously but um but back in the day um somehow they were renovating one floor of, of the fort gary hotel and he just kind of got hip to well we're just gonna go up there 
I think we shot all night. We must have, I don't know what kind of like horseshoe we had come upon because it just, and then the rooms were the kind of rooms that connected to the next room. So you could have the, so the video when you, when we filmed it would go into one room and then some activity would be happening and it would go into the next room and it would come back out in the hallway. And it would, there was one edit, um, goes into a thing, goes into a guy's hand. And then it comes out of the next shot out of somebody's hand into whatever the next shots were. Uh, and then eventually, so there were one, two, three, I think, edits. And that was sort of like, if we could just stay out of the edit bay as long as possible. And that's ridiculous talk for like 22 year old kids to be talking about like, how do we save money on making videos? And that video ended up being, uh, getting a lot of airplay on much music. Again, you know, there was indie, uh, I can't remember what the, the show was called, indie something. And then there was Much West, which was a, a show based on Western Canada. And there was, so there was quite a bit of um, of shows that, you know, they were looking for content, you know, that if you can fill that content. And luckily, Canada is very good to Canadian artists. And um, and then Ugly was, you know, it caught on enough to, to make it into a pseudo regular rotation on on uh, on their regular playlist. Hey, listener, you're listening to our podcast, which is a recorded session from one of our other online sessions. Every Tuesday, you can tune in and be part of it at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is Toronto time. For those of you listening in from different parts of the world, uh, it's our Indie Weekly, and that means we talk with music industry professionals, artists, all about the music business. It's a great way to connect with others as we have people tuning in from around the world. We encourage dropping links, sharing, DMing, making real connections while learning about the music industry and uh, hearing from music industry professionals. So once again, that's Indie Weekly every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Toronto time. And to sign up, just head over to IndieWeek.com and all the information is there. And we're back. Yeah. And I think that, like, again, I, I really do believe that was the start of original music now being accepted in bars um, and getting it to play on much music and radio. So again, Age of Electric was really substantial in the role of that. Uh, but then DJs came and uh, bars were like, oh, if we have one guy, we don't have to pay all these other guys. And and that so there, there was this transition where DJs started coming in. They had a DJ already in a lot of cases, like yeah. in between sets of me. And next week we've got Smash LA, you know, and, and things like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. But but then it turned into that's where then they started saying, well, we could pay these indie bands the door and save a ton of money. And the rest of the week we have this one guy. So that's where that transition sort of came into play. And we lost that whole circuit. We lost the that touring circuit. Um a yeah. little bit other than kind of like doing the one-offs, the Fridays, the Saturdays and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, when uh, Age of Electric moved to Vancouver, we'd moved to Vancouver. We were recording with Bob Rock and we were doing, you know, we would kind of lean right into the thing of like, look, we, look, we I don't want to go out and do, you know, or not that I don't, I think we just kind of thought like, how long can we spin our wheels doing this? But so what we would do is we went back to Vancouver and sort of regrouped as sort of you know let's let's focus on this you know let's focus on what we want to do what we want to see we we'd seen sort of what we can pull off if we put our energy into it we would still make our way across canada 
you know, building our way through the prairies, especially because those those clubs still existed. So we would do our thing where we could kind of like every dime we ever made went back into the band anyway. So, I mean, although like like you had said, we none of us had homes, none of us had, you know, rent, none of us had any of that stuff. It was just all sort of like every penny just kind of went back into the band. We paid ourselves, you know, whatever we paid ourselves to survive. And but that still existed all the way out. By the time we got to Ontario, it wasn't like that. Ontario was a lot more like the one offs. Um, you would um, it was kind of the way most original clubs are, you know, and that and that was kind of like where we kind of sort of had set our sights. And it was only a matter of trying that a couple of times where eventually that scene you're talking about went away. And then you're playing places like the Republic in Edmonton or Channel One in Regina, you know, where it's no longer the 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 week long club. It's the the original club. And a lot of those original clubs had been there the whole time. That's where all those indie bands were playing while we we're off playing cover songs. There was like take your pick of any whatever band was was blowing through towns like that playing in those indie clubs and and uh original based clubs often punk rock clubs frankly and and uh and and they then they eventually became came to just be like the only game in town really for live music yeah and that's what uh where indie was really meaning indie and uh, alternative was alternative, and and now yeah. like, kind of like everything's indie and everything's alternative, uh, you know. Now, I I, I do want to transition to talking about Slash and how you got there, but I do want to also mention that you know there's a lot of people that came out of that scene, like Jason Hook from Five Finger Death Punch was on that circuit uh, in Canada. Uh, he's a neighbor. He, he's a neighbor of mine. He lives over there, about <laughs> a few miles. <laughs> oh, awesome. uh, but yeah a lot of people came up and like they're all players like they're all like they got their chops together um so how do you get from you know touring canada to now playing with slash what, what did what would that look like well it seems like it's completely unrelated in any fashion but i suppose in its own way it is definitely related in that you know you kind of put in the ten thousand hours so that when something like that presents itself you're in fact in you know, at all capable to do it. But, um, you know, there's like a whole cast of stories that go on with that. I mean, when you think about post Age of Electric, by the time Age of Electric had pretty much called it a day, the record industry was already sort of starting to be a little bit topsy-turvy as far as downloading and all that had gone. And um, I had sort of tampered in the world of... Um, I did a site, I did a new project called Age of uh, Static and Stereo with my brothers. And then I did a solo album and I was producing bands in Vancouver. And Vancouver was very good to me. Uh, I had a lot of great years there. Um, and then Las Vegas uh, was just a weird thing where a friend called me to come down and do a, some gigs and I would come down and do stuff off and on from about 2003 till about 2006. I kind of came down and said, okay, well, you know, I came, I, I was just talking about this. It was 2006, October, 2006, because I came down for a Halloween gig and um, that just passed. So 16 years ago, I came down here. So this is officially the longest place I've technically lived. Um, and I just sort of uh, came down and, and then it was like, hey, they want to do this gig every Friday night. Or, Would you do it? And I go, well, I don't want to, I'm not, I, I'm Canadian. I'm not going to be that guy who's like, sneaking across the border like i'm just going to vegas to gamble 
I was like, I'm not that guy. I go like, I'm a grown ass man. I got a family. I'm like, if they could set up visas and stuff like that, then yeah, of course I'll, you know, I'll, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is something I'll do for a while and then go back. I was already working on some new projects in Vancouver anyway, but, um, but I was very curious about the whole American, you know, opportunities that might be down here. And Vegas being what I still consider a distant suburb of Los Angeles, um, I just said, okay, well, let's try it. And then they get a visa together. And the next thing you know, you're here. And so then, you know, that's 2006. By 2007, I'm in Europe playing in a version of Faster Pussycat, you know, with Enough's Enough and Bullet Boys. It was a full flashback, you know, and I'm like, what's going on? You know, on my first trip, which I totally took on the case of like, do you want to go to Europe? And I'd like, I can't believe I've been doing this this long. And I've never been overseas, never been to the UK, never been to France, Italy, Greece. And we did all that. And I came back. Brent Muscat and I from Fast Pussycat had a, had a local band here in town called the Sin City Sinners that just started off as a fun jam band, but then suddenly transitioned into being a showcase like playing major Vegas casino showcase rooms. I'm like, who's booking this? You know, it's like the dregs of society of like, you know, of what we do in these dive bars is now suddenly like an acceptable, you know, pseudo highbrow uh, venues. And then um, Brent Fitz, the drummer for, uh, for the Slash Band currently is an old friend from Winnipeg. And he was a part of the same scene we've been talking about in a band called Seventh Heaven. And he played with Kenny Shields' Street Heart and a bunch of other stuff. He, he relocated to Los Angeles in the late 90s, I think, while I was doing, you know, successful stuff with Age of Electric in Canada. He came to the U.S. and um, played in a bunch of stuff. He played with Vince Neil. He played in Alice Cooper and a bunch of stuff like that. And then the Slash thing came up and he got the gig. So he calls me and the next thing I know, I'm, you know, on Jay Leno's show a week later and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a surreal thing of, of, you know, people ask like, you know, what kind of advice it's really hard to give advice on that kind of stuff. It's like, well, have, have a lot of friends, you know, be reliable, be very good at your job so that when that friend gets a really good gig and they call you, you're actually qualified to even take up that gig. So that's sort of what happened really, honestly, it was just sort of like, you know, I, I it, it it seems like it all kind of makes sense, but it, you know, it, nothing ever makes sense until you look at the bigger picture, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's a, a, a common uh, storyline that a lot of people have talked about this week is relationships. It's yeah. a lot of who, you know, hundred um, percent. And it's, it's uh, treat people well and nice. Uh, don't be a jerk. Um, and, and like you said, when, when you get the chance, like do the job, like be the guy that, you know, if, if people are going to refer, it's like, oh, I know somebody that's really going to kill that, uh, be that person. Not only, not only kill it, but also be, he's not a drug addict. His, his chick's not a disaster. You know, whatever, what, all the list of problems that you can have, you know, you know, cause there's always that sort of thing of, you know, we all know that there's really talented people out there, but there's something that you've got to kind of deal with. And it's like, well, they would, I'd be honest with you. People will, don't want to deal with that stuff. They want to deal with a person who's reliable, who can do the gig, who's a good hang. That's in a lot of ways, that's most of the gig, you know? Well, uh, I, I could probably say playing with Slash, Slash has probably been through a lot of that and probably doesn't have as much patience uh, for that <laughs> these days. 
he does seem to have a great deal of patience when it comes to i think he's sort of his expectation of like everybody is flawed in their own way you know i think he sort of like expects it you know it comes with you know the the level of brilliance whether it's a scott or an axel or whoever that there's like just a level of of that special quality but it also comes with some other stuff so i think when he kind of started working with guys like me and Fitz, who were just kind of like canadian guys looking for the coffee shop in whatever town we're in you know it's sort of i think he kind of probably was looking at us sideways waiting to see when one of us was going to go off the rails but we just want to we just want to play great and make sure it's awesome and have a great experience i mean it was to to me the the party has always been the show everything else is sort of like is secondary to just the two hours on stage or 90 minutes or whatever you're lucky enough to play yeah and and it's got to be great to be playing with fits too like he's he's such a, a great drummer and um actually i ran probably one of the last times ages ago i ran into him he was with uh theory of a dead man yeah i was uh, exactly tour managing and band open for them. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of gigs you can get, uh, when you are known and, and respected and such. Um, so what's it like now, you know, I want to sort of ask that, you know, the scale of, you know, going across Canada for years, but now you're really going around the world. Um, you know, um, probably for months at a time, uh what what does that look like you, you know in the sense like there's we talked about pacing a little bit before uh you know monday through saturday at the same place but i got expect like you know trying to get get between cities that are countries away and things like that uh what give us a little bit about what that experience is like well i suppose that that prepares you for a lot of this too i think the idea that you know you you get on an airplane you watch Mrs. Doubtfire and Jurassic Park and something else. And the next thing you know, you're like, you know, something you've only ever read about. You know what I mean? Like, so to me, as, as a rock and roll nerd like I am, getting to places like England is such a big deal because of all the bands that came from there. And so it's always, I'm super psyched to be there. Um, but to have gone as many times as we have now, as we have now and to have friends there and, and like can't wait to get there because... You know, I know that really cool coffee shop in Manchester that I like, you know, and it's such a surreal thing when, like I say, Age of Electric should have been overseas 10 times in the in the in the time we were together, but we just never got a chance to go. So now um, to have gone when, when when I first started playing with Slash, I wasn't sure if it was just going to be like three months of fly out weekends, you know, at different casinos or something like that across America and be like, OK, good game, high five, and then never see each other again. But that went on for 18 months. And it's the, one of the first gigs we ever played was Melbourne, Australia. And you're like, you know, that may as well be Middle Earth, really. I mean, it's, to me, it's just like, that's, it's not a real place, is it? Melbourne, Australia, it just sounds like something you, you, you hear about, but you don't actually go. And now I've been to Melbourne enough or Sydney or, you know, New Zealand or Japan, you know, all these places have been there enough that they're like, it's super familiar and it's super amazing to and i haven't been there since 2019 so now it sort of feels starting to feel like maybe it was a dream that i had you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um it, it's you know a lot of that too is you know the exhaustion um the separation from your loved ones and family um like i said when i joined slash i thought it was just gonna be i wasn't sure what it was gonna be three months you know it was 18 months of solid solid hard work you know he he loves to work he's the kind of guy that he gets off of like a, you know, a flight from South Africa and he wants to be in the studio the next day. 
you know, it's like, it's, it's, he's just wired that way. He loves to, to be busy. And I think that a lot of that has rubbed off on me and that I'm kind of like, always have an eye on like, okay, so three months from now, there's nothing on the calendar. What do you want to do with that? You know? And, uh, but you know, you, you, it's like anything else. It's a gig. So sometimes you'll, you'll, I'll often say to, you know, oh yeah, I've been to Jakarta. And what was it like? I don't remember, you know, I remember like the venue and I remember the hotel and, you know, it's like, that's sort of the nature of, there's only so many hours in the day. You're often arriving to play somewhere and then it's you're gone. You know, it's like, you don't really have, it'd be great to be doing six nights a week, like back in the day, but be doing it in Shanghai and then Beijing. And then, like you know, but we, we, we often hit these places and we do have like maybe a day where you can kind of check something out. And then um, it's just chaos. And a lot of stuff is, you know, you're, you're on a bus or, or you fly in. Generally, we travel on bus, get in. Like there was one time we did an overnight drive into Rome, Italy. And, you know, I'm just knackered. And somebody looks at me and they go, if we don't go see the Colosseum today, we're not going to get a chance to see it. And I go, well, let's go see the Colosseum. You know, just absolutely jet lagged and knackered. And I'm like, we went there and I'm like, so happy I did. The funniest thing is we're standing there and Fitz points it points out that there's a guy in line with a Winnipeg Jets t-shirt on. And I go, of course there is. Wherever we go, there's somebody from Winnipeg. But um, uh. but yeah, no, it's it's you know, it's the same thing. It's all I'm not there to party, I'm not really there to sightsee, I'm there to play a show as best I can. And that really is the priority for me. Um uh, but at the same time, it's amazing to get to do it in awesome places. And, and with that, what would you say has sort of been your pinnacle your highlight so far like the the show that you know really sticks there's quite a few honestly like we got to play moscow a few times you know a place like that and although you know it wasn't wasn't the venue itself was like ten thousand people or anything like that it's just that it was we're in moscow russia we were in saint petersburg russia you know when you're a kid you you don't think that's ever going to be a possibility you know i mean like um but you know we've done download many times which used to be um Oh, what did they used to call that festival in England? Uh, it's it's uh, Castle Donington, they used to call it when I was a kid. And that was a big deal to me because it's tens of thousands of people. Like it's mind-bogglingly huge. We've done Glastonbury. We've done, we did Mumbai and in, in uh, India. You know, we've done some really crazy venues and and uh, a lot of the really big ones like this old in Clisson, France, an old castle that's sort of set up like a like a giant festival grounds like they're all crazy experiences to have had and then once in a while there's times where i'll look at fits and i'll go what was that gig like i'll you know we'll come up with a you know somewhere in poland and i'll go yeah and he'll look and i'll go oh okay. he has such a better memory about like he's that guy that goes well remember the hotel rooms were this and i'm like no i don't remember the hotel room i remember there's a bed and a shower and then i went to the venue it's like um but you know so much of it is a blur you know that i have to kind of take a step back once in a while and and after after i hang up with you i'll think of 10 other gigs and i was like oh that was a good gig i should have mentioned that one but uh you know they're all amazing even getting to play places like the whiskey a go-go or or the troubadour in in hollywood with slash has been really surreal because it's like i you know when i first went to hollywood to try and get signed and all that kind of stuff we used to see Slash in the rainbow, uh, just hanging out at the rainbow. And he'd come and sit at our table. This is like 
probably 10, 15 years before I ever played with the guy. Probably way, way earlier. This is 91, 90, yeah, 91. So we didn't start playing together until 2015. Or no, I'm sorry, 2010. So about almost 19 years before we actually started playing together, I had already sort of like hung out with Slash a little bit, but we didn't really know each other. But to actually like to know that those guys were, you know, the kings of the Sunset Strip and then to actually like play those clubs with him was pretty surreal. Yeah, and some some of you uh, might not have heard about Sunset Strip, but it was this legendary uh, days, uh, the Rainbow, Whiskey, Troubadour, um, Roxy. Billy Idol was just playing at the Roxy like yesterday. That's um, right. I'm actually on Sunset Strip right now. That's where you're I'm like, staying. you're like a 10 minute walk from all those places, probably. Yeah, yeah. So with that kind of talk, um, who you've met a lot of people. Uh, through the, this time that you were playing their music before who's that one person that you actually got to meet where it's like you know maybe uh an idol or you know that that one person where you're like oh man i can't believe that just happened well that happened really fast and when as soon as i started playing with slash it was kind of like we were doing a, a thing called the golden gods awards for revolver magazine it's like a hard rock awards thing that they would do over at um right on Hollywood Boulevard, the, um, I want to say Nokia Theater, I can't remember what it's called. Um, and uh, Slash had just released his solo record, which was a record with all different vocalists on it, Miles Kennedy being one of them, um, Kid Rock, Chris Cornell, like just the cavalcade of, of dudes, Ian Asprey, Iggy Pop, and then he had um, Lemmy, and he goes, Lemmy's going to come down and, and, and sing uh, that song, and we're going to do uh ace of spades and dave Grohl's gonna get up and play drums like oh what you know the whole thing is just so surreal i was like what's happening um so at at rehearsal one day lemmy walks in and i mean i i i'd seen lemmy on many occasions um again in the rainbow and different things like that seen motorhead many times and he'd always been sort of a a mythic figure within you know that world and it's funny to say because he is a very he was always a very attainable guy like he was the kind of guy you could have walked up to and he was always up for just a, a, a good chat. He, he was like a great, great guy. But the fact that he got up and played, we played together and we got to kind of know each other. We played together enough times that I'm the nice, polite Canadian guy that every time I'd be like, hey, Lemmy, it's, I'm Todd. I play with Slash. And he'd always be like, yeah, I know. He's always kind of like, yeah. He always kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Of course I know. He was good at like, just meet somebody and he'd remember you. And uh, so getting to know him, I mean, I, like I said, it's like, we had Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. I mean, that was a massive thing to me, staring at like Budokan or Dream Police as a kid, like just staring at those records, um, getting to tour with Aerosmith, getting to know those guys, touring with Ozzy. Like that's super crazy. Like when I'm like 15 years old, like just that, that's never going to happen, you know? Um, Alice Cooper was a big one. That was very early on too. Alice got up with us and you know, Alice is a legend. These guys are all legends. You know, it's like, it's surreal to me, you know, uh, the only, the only ones that, you know, haven't really happened yet or any Beatles or any stones. And that, and then yeah, Ringo is some guy that, um, that slash knows, you know what I mean? But it's like, uh, we met his, his band, but we didn't meet Ringo, his all-star band. We, you know, Todd Rundgren, Steve Lukather, Greg Bissonette, that all those guys. But yeah, no, that kind of stuff's, it's never really lost on me because I'm such a rock and roll nerd, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's got to be a, a great time. Uh, now, is there, um, we're looking at like five minutes left. Uh, 
is there any sort of last sort of tips in maybe talking to people that are looking to kind of follow that type of path that you're on? How do they get from like, I'm in this city that seems like that'll never happen. Uh, you know, what, what would you say for them to try to, you know, I, there's one question asking, like, even like, how do you contact some of these people to potentially open for them uh, or, you know, potentially play with them? What are some tips there? You know, that's so interesting to me because I come from a town of like no street lights, you know, no 7-Eleven, no A&W or a McDonald's or a 7-Eleven, you know, it's like, it was just like a small town. So when you say that, it's interesting to me to, to imagine that, like when you talk about Tokyo or you talk about Moscow, you may as well be talking about, you know, going to Mars or going to Tatooine. You know, I mean, these are just places that just, that'll never happen. But I do believe that, you know, now when I talk about it, because Fitz is one of those guys, the first thing he'll say is you got to get out of wherever you are. You got to get out of Lethbridge or wherever you are and go to where it's happening. So, which to me is, is somewhat true. Age of Electric sort of didn't take no for an answer. We, it's just like the balls on these guys. I mean, just the fact that we decided we were just going to do what we're going to do and we're going to travel around. And yeah, we're some kids from Saskatchewan, but we're going to go and, and, and do this. And I mean, I'd love to say that we really proved it, but I don't think we stuck around long enough to really be able to say we actually accomplished. We accomplished a lot, but we didn't really um, have the um, wherewithal to stick around long enough to make it really make sense. It's hard, like trying to get a hold of people to open for them. It's hard getting out there. And basically, all you can do is just go out there and, and give 110% all the time. You know, it's like, it's really all there is to it. As I, I mean, I'm going to say, it sounds like I've just been working steady for the past 30, 40 years of just kind of like, you know, crushing it. But there's definitely some periods where it's like, your phone's not ringing, you, you got mouths to feed, you have to get some kind of day gig to make uh, to pay the rent. And that's just the way life goes, you know, and it's, there's a great line in the kiss song. God gave rock and roll to you, which is actually from the Argent was the band that originated that song, as written by Russ Ballard. I, I had to seek this out because there's a line in that song because I sing it with Bruce all the time. There's a line that says, "If you want to be a singer or play guitar, man, you got to work or you won't get far because it's never too late to work nine to five. And every time I sing that line with Bruce, I just get this chill of like, "Amen, brother, Amen." Like at any given moment, whether you're an actor or whatever, an actor can have be on a season of a major sitcom for seven to 10 years and never work again. You know what I mean? It's, it's a brutal business as far as that goes. And I think the fact that I'm a singer and a songwriter and I play bass and I play guitar, I have sort of managed to find a way to produce things. You know, um, I managed to find a way to be four or five people at the same time so that when the calls come in and someone's looking for, you know, a bass player or someone's looking for a guitar player or someone's looking for a singer or someone's, you know, it's kind of like all these things are coming at you. I'm able to say, break out a calendar and go yes on this day. And yes to that on that day um, within reason. I mean, to be honest with you, most people wish they had started Aerosmith at 23 years old and now they're 75 years old and they're still in Aerosmith. You know what I mean? That is the dream. Um, unfortunately, that's just not, that's just not the way it worked for me. For me, it was, you know, 
Aerosmith, my Aerosmith, Age of Electric, whatever you want to call it, like the band that I started that I wanted to, to last forever, didn't last. So I was sort of put into that world of like, well, you can either go, I wasn't qualified to be anything else. I would have had to go to school and figure out how to get a, a career and a job and all that kind of stuff. And, and I would have had to leave all this behind. Um, but for me, it was sort of like, okay, well, here's what I'm qualified to do. I know I can, I've got 10,000 hours in this, in this world. So um, I can sing on key. I can, I can learn songs fast. I can, I'm a good hang. I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict. And, um, and I just sort of try to figure out how to make a, a life for myself and all this. And like I said, I come from a town of 1500 people and now I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And, and it's, I would never have been able to tell you that that's the way it was going to go. There's no way to know that that's how it's going to go. Um, and that said, it's never too late to work nine to five. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the phone might stop ringing. I might be like, back in Lanigan, Saskatchewan, working at the ESO. <laughs> and that'd be okay. I'd, I'd have some great stories to tell. <laughs> well, maybe maybe a book might be on its way sometime. Um, yeah, and uh, just sort of wanted to mention uh, the other guys from Age of Electric, like um, some people might know, like Ryan is in Limb Lifter. Yep. Uh, your brother, John, is in Black Halos, who's just releasing yeah. new music right now. Great to see. Kurt was in the New Pornographers for years, played on Letterman like six times. He just played the BC Lions halftime with uh, Stephen Page and the Bare Naked Ladies. Everybody's everybody's really a lot doing stuff. We got together for a reunion run in the uh, around 2015 till about 2017. We were pretty active for a minute there and it was around the 20th anniversary of some stuff. And uh, it'll happen again. I mean, I really don't believe bands break up. It's all kind of flares back up like some bad rash that you can't get rid of. <laughs> so I, I would imagine Age of Electric will, something will find its way back to like, hey, what are you doing this summer? And then we'll probably do something. But we haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, well, there was a reunion tour uh, mm -hmm. that's that we saw. And that, oddly enough, I think that's already 10 years ago or eight years ago or something like that. Um, uh, 17 was the last, was the last, because uh, it was it, 1997 was make a pest of so it was the 20th anniversary of that. So in 2017, so five years ago, that's still a substantial amount of time. Yeah. COVID makes it feel like <laughs> dude, hundred yeah. percent. Uh, well, Todd, thank you so much for your time. Uh, oh, thank it's you. Been, it's been great to catch up and uh, reminisce about those days. And, uh, uh I don't like know you how said, informative it, it all was, but hopefully it was somewhat inspirational in some way. Trust me. It's like, you know, it's like people keep talking and get, you know, getting knocked down. It's like, it's all about getting up. It really is. It's like, you know, you just keep getting up. Even when it's like, there's no way you should, should be getting up. Somehow you find your way back up and you just find another, you find another way into the game. You know, it's like, oh, these doors are all closed. What about this door? And you go in that door, you know, and it's just, it's just a matter of staying power is really what it is. Yeah. And, you know, talking about COVID, it's really showing how um, the music industry is resilient, creative, um workarounds and dude all i recorded <laughs> i recorded three records during covid with friends so a project came out called minefield with some friends of mine from ace fraley's band i got a new project out like it's coming out now because these things get you know the ideas of the work come up during covid so now heroes and monsters with uh, will from evanescence that's coming out in january and then tracy guns and i from la guns we wrote a record together so all these projects are coming out so it's sort of like they 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 close the big door, which is the like, let's go play music. And it's like, okay, well now what do we do? 
now we record music, you know? So <laughs> I just think you just got to keep, you just got to keep swimming and you just keep, keep swinging. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much. Uh, super. My appreciate pleasure. It. Uh, and yes, uh, the chat's showing like everybody's saying, uh, how inspirational this was. Um, awesome. Have a great day. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, say hi to Monique. Uh, I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so <laughs> much, right. you guys. All right. So that does it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation from uh, Indie Week 2022. Uh, like I said, what a great dude Todd is. Um, just a really fun one to listen to. Before we go, uh, just another shout out and thank you to all our sponsors and funders. This project is funded in part by the Government of Canada, as well as Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto. Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SoCan Foundation. Big thank you to all of them. As always, follow Indie Week on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Best way to stay up to date and informed on what we have coming up. There's always a lot of things. Like you heard at the ad break, uh, Screen by Screen is coming up this February from February 7th to 9th. Early bird ticket sales are fast approaching. Go to screenxscreen.com. And now that uh, we're kind of rededicating ourselves to this podcast, making sure it gets out there on a weekly basis and uh, it'd really help if you share it on social media, give it a, uh, you know, follow it, subscribe to it on whatever app you use. If it lets you like and review it, do that. It's all a big help. Helps others find it. All right. But um, that's enough for this week. Hope you enjoyed the pod and we'll see you back here again next Thursday. Thanks so much.